A very blessed morning to one and all. And today's uh, <clears throat> passage, as we have read earlier on, is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Just a very, very short passage about the house of Stephanus. The house of Stephanus. First Corinthians chapter 16, starting from verse 15, and I'll read that again. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Verse 17. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. The Lord bless the reading of his sacred word. Here we have a very short account of the house of Stephanus, and I've entitled this sermon, A Family Addiction. And that's taken from verse 15. Because the house of Stephanus was described as one that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now very often when we talk about addiction, what comes to mind, first of all, is something that is bad. We think about alcoholic addiction. We think about a father who is drunk and come back in the middle of the night, scolding everyone and throwing broken bottles and beating up everyone in the house, creating a ruckus, spending all the money in the house. Or we think about gambling addiction, somebody who spends all the money on gambling. You cannot stop going to the casinos or online gambling during the COVID times. We think about uh, drug addiction, very strong heroin addiction. And recently we read in the papers of cannabis addiction that is growing in America, a growing problem in America in many parts of the world where cannabis has been legalized. We think about drug addicts who are so addicted to these drugs that they will do anything to just get a little bit, money, a bit, a little bit more money. They would steal, they would bank, they would rock, they would even kill just for a little bit of money so that they could feed their drug addictions. We think about children who are addicted to video games. Right? People, who, children, young boys especially, many of them addicted to video games. And the parents just can't get the kids off that addiction. And that is why it is right for parents to restrict the children's time that they have on their iPads or on the computers or even smartphones. And children, do not resent your parents who are restricting your time to all these gadgets. And it's not just uh, young boys or young girls. I remember when I was in the national service, I was addicted to playing video games. <laughs> The addiction was so strong that I have to tell myself, I've got to stop. I have to stop. Because otherwise I will be wasting all my time away. And I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Right? And I was addicted. And addiction can be very, very strong. And that is the sense here. In the use of this word addiction. Right? This family, the house of Stephanus, they are addicted to the ministry of the saints. Not in a bad sense. In the Word of God, when, when the, uh, the Apostle Paul describes the house of Stephanus, it is used in a good sense. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. In other words, they are so devoted. They keep going back to the ministry of the saints. It is an enjoyable hobby for them. They love to minister to saints. They love the saints. And they love to take care of others in the household of God. They love the people of God. They love to spend time with them. They love to care for them. They love to meet the needs of everyone in the household of God. And that's the house of Stephanus, addicted to the ministry 
of the saints. <laughs> and here we have the Apostle Paul commanding this house of Stephanus. When you talk about this house of Stephanus, he's not talking about the physical house. Right? He's not talking about the house that Stephanus is living in. He's talking about the household, the family, in a broader sense, even the extended family of the whole family of Stephanus. That everyone in the house of Stephanus was addicted to the ministry of the saints. That the whole family was engaged in serving the people of God together. Right? And the first point that I want us to note uh, in this uh, passage is that this is a house that serves, this is the family that serves the Lord together. And that is why the Apostle Paul commended this house of Stephanus. This is the family that serves the Lord together. Yes, it's very well for all of us to be serving the Lord individually, having our own ministry. But it is a joy and it is a very rare thing to see whole family coming together to serve the Lord together. And that is the beauty of this family. And because in this picture of a Christian family serving the Lord together, you have the picture of the family of God, the family of Christ, the bigger family of Christ serving the Lord together as brothers and sisters in Christ. First of all, we see this is the family of Stephanus. Stephanus, he is the head of the home. He commands the rest of the family member to serve the Lord together with him. We see the lovely character of this person. You know, to, it is not easy to serve other people. And that is why we don't like to use the word servant. We don't like to be called servant, right? We don't like to be called helper, right? A lot of people think about helper as something that is negative. In fact, in my pre-marriage counselling, I always teach about this term, helper. If you look at the Bible, you know the word helper is referred mostly to who? In the Bible? It's referred to God as the helper. That's the sense of the word helper. And, and whenever you need help, who do you go to? Somebody who can help you, right? Not somebody who cannot help you, right? <laughs> somebody who can help you is God, right? The person who can help you is God. Can you imagine the wife is called the helper of the husband? Because the wife helps the husband, right? Not that the, not the wife is God, right? <laughs> I know a lot of wives like to think of themselves as God so that the husband will serve them, right? Uh, no. The idea is that the wife will be a good helper to the husband. So, do not think of the word helper as something that is negative. It is a glorious job and duty to be a servant of God, to be a servant to one another. And here we have an example here, the Apostle Paul commending this household of Stephanus. Stephanus himself leading the way. You see his generous character. You see his humility in being willing to give of himself. It costs you something to serve someone else. It costs you something to help someone else. First of all, it costs you your time. You need to go out of your way, out of your comfort zone to help someone else. If somebody needs a, a ride from the Changi Airport, a visitor who is coming, 3 a.m. in the morning, it costs you your sleep. You've got to go out of the way. It costs you your fuel, right? Nowadays, uh, fuel is very expensive, huh? right? You've got to pump more petrol to drive around. It costs you your time, your sleep, your money to go out of the way to minister to someone, to bring someone, to minister to someone. And this is Stephanus, who goes out of the way and he leads his family in ministering to who? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Who is Apostle Paul? Some of you may say, ah, of course, this is Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul. Of course, he is willing to serve the Apostle Paul. But that's not necessarily the case in those days. If you think about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christian in those days, what did Jesus say? 
If anybody will come after me, Luke 9.23, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. That is what it means to be identified with a Christian. It means you must deny yourself. Deny yourself means deny your selfish ambition. My ambition is to be Warren Buffett, to be Mark Zuckerberg, to be as successful as these great CEOs. If you want to be a Christian, you must deny your selfish ambition. Take up the cross. Take up the cross. What does it mean, what does it mean by taking up the cross? Many of us think of taking up the cross as, oh, I wear a cross pendant. Right? <laughs> oh, I wear a cross earring. Right? These days, huh? decoration. No. In those days, the cross means you are willing to die. Carry the cross means I'm carrying my cross to be crucified on the cross. I'm going to die. To be a Christian in those days means I am willing to suffer for Christ. I am willing to be identified with Christ. What does it mean by being identified with Christ? Christ died for you and me on the cross at Calvary. Are you willing to be identified with Jesus Christ? To carry the cross, even to die for Jesus. To lay down your life, to sacrifice yourself, and to follow the example of Jesus. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Right? And that's what Stephanus was. He was willing to sacrifice himself. Even sacrifice his family time. And sacrifice the things that his children could have got. You know, we all have a limited amount of resources. We all have our income, our salary. We all have to spend our money very wisely. Right? And if you have a big family... It means that you've got to divide your money very, very carefully. I grew up in a very, very poor family, as I've mentioned previously. I remember one of my childhood things, one of those joys that we have as a child, was that, oh, uh, my elder sister who started working as a teacher, uh, she would bring back a bag of fruits, apples and oranges. This is a luxury for us in those days. And, and, um, and so... One of my sisters, my fifth sister, I have six sisters right, in my family. I'm the only son, the only, the only son, yeah, and the youngest, the most precious, and the most spoiled. <laughs> right? And the duty falls on my fifth sister to slice the orange into six equal parts. So that all of us will have exactly the same size slice of orange. Otherwise, you know, all of us will go for the bigger slice, right? <laughs> now, everyone else, so, just one orange is so precious to us. Right? Resources are very scarce in every home, especially now with rising costs of living. And it was in the case of those days as well. Because as a Christian, what it means to be a Christian is that you could lose your job. Because Christians were persecuted by the government, by the Romans, authorities, by the Jews. Remember, Jesus was persecuted. The Apostle Paul was persecuted. Many of the Christians, before the Apostle Paul was uh, converted, what was he? He was a persecutor of Christians, right? He was hauling the Christian and throwing them into jail. And many of them died in the process. Many of them were tortured. In the early church, if you study church history, many of the Christians were tortured for their faith. Denounce Christ, otherwise you will die. Otherwise I'll torture you. No, I will not denounce Christ. You won't denounce Christ? I'll cut off your ear. Are you sure? You won't denounce Christ? I won't denounce Christ. Right ear got cut off. Bleeding. In pain. No anesthesia. You still won't denounce Christ? Your left ear is going to be cut off. Are you sure? I won't denounce Christ. Cut off. You sure you want to denounce Christ? I'm going to cut off your nose. I'm going to chop off your hand. That is what it means to be a Christian. And that's Stephanus. He is willing to identify himself with Christ. He is even willing to risk his family. You know, many times when 
when Stephanus accommodated the Apostle Paul in his home. The entourage comes. Apostle Paul doesn't come alone. Sometimes he comes with Timothy. Sometimes he comes with his uh, other fellow workers who comes with him on his missionary journeys. House of Stephanus would accommodate him, would provide meals for them. It cost them money to do that. It cost them homes to do that. It cost them their rooms to do that. Perhaps some of the family members may have to give up their rooms in order to accommodate the visitors. He was willing to sacrifice his family for that. I'm sure Stephanus might have had many conversations with his wife in the process, right? Some of us are laughing, right? <laughs> many conversations with our wives, right? And we have different opinions. The wife would be complaining, hey, we need this extra money for our children's education, you know. You're going to spend the money on this dinner for Apostle Paul? Are you sure? Right? I object. No, this is safe, safe set aside for our daughter, for our son. The house of Stephanus, the head of the house of Stephanus, he would say, no, it is my joy and our privilege and we are teaching our children they need to sacrifice themselves. It costs them something to serve the Lord. If it doesn't cost you anything to serve the Lord, that's not a sacrifice. You're not denying yourself. You're not taking up the cross. You're not following Jesus. It must cost you something. So that's the question for us. What does it cost you to follow Christ? What does it cost you to serve the Lord? If you're very comfortable as a Christian, it's not costing you anything, then I'd put it to you today that you are really not following Christ. Because Christ is calling us, each and every one of us, to sacrifice ourselves, to lay down our lives in order to follow Him. And the house of Stephanus has set us this marvellous example. Now verse 15 says of Stephan's family, they are the first fruits of Achaia. First fruits of Achaia. Where is Achaia? If you look at the map of Achaia, it is in northern part of Greece. It's very helpful for us to go on um, Holy Land trips. You know, before I went on Holy Land trips, I didn't have a clear understanding of the geography of the Bible, of the places that are mentioned in Israel or Turkey or Greece. Until I went to the Holy Land, until I go to Turkey and Greece, then I have a deeper understanding and, and I can now relate to the various places. And when I read about these places, it means something to me. And so I encourage all of you, if you have the opportunity, save up money. Right? It is worth every cent. The trip is worth every cent. Achaia is actually, uh, sorry, the southern part of Greece, not the northern part. Pardon me. Right? The southern part of Greece. The northern part of Greece was called Macedonia. Now, Today, Macedonia is a separate country that is above northern Greece. Okay? So that's why there was a dispute between Macedonia as a country and Greece because Greece was a little bit upset that uh, you know, that country north of Greece chose to call themselves Macedonia because, of course, Macedonia was uh, historically the northern part of Greece. But the southern part of Greece is, was Achaia. Now, Achaia, the first fruits of Achaia means that the Apostle Paul, perhaps on his second missionary journey, when he responded to the Macedonian call and he crossed over uh, from uh, Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, into Europe, which is the northern part of Greece, Macedonia, uh, and went down to Berea, Philippi, Thessalonica, and down to the southern part of Greece, Achaia. And this was where perhaps he met the household of Stephanus and the others. And he preached the gospel to them and they were saved. So they were the first fruits. They were the first converts of Achaia. And one of the clearest evidences of conversion and salvation is the change of the lives of people. What were you like before you were a Christian? Was there any change in your lives? If there was no change in your lives, then you ought to question whether or not you are truly born again. If there is no change in your life, 
you have to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? That's an important question to ask because you have no assurance of salvation if there is no change in your life. The fact that you are born again must effect a change because the Bible tells us that when you are born again, you are a new creation, a new creature in Christ, a new creation. creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There must be a change in life. Your priorities must change. Whereas before I was born again, I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be a rich person. I wanted to have a comfortable life. I want to pursue all the five C's. I want to have a successful career. But after I was born again, I know all these things are filthy rags. These are, these are not important. These are dung, like what the Apostle Paul says. These are dung. These are not important. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Mark 8, 36 reminds all of us. And that was the key verse that led me to my conversion. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And I realized that the most important thing in my life, after I'm born again, is my relationship with God, is to be more and more like Jesus, is to grow in the likeness of Christ, is to serve God all the days of my life. If it is my privilege to answer God's call to be a full-time servant of God, and that would be my greatest joy and privilege. I was scared at that point in time as a young Christian. What if God calls me to be a missionary to Africa, the far-off place? I'm so scared. I don't want to be a missionary in a foreign land. Lord, don't make me a missionary. Perhaps I'm sure some of us prayed that prayer as well, right? Uh, then at least start by serving in the local church. Start by serving the local church. Start small, right? You know, our God is, a, is an amazing God. He's a marvelous God. He's a loving God. He's a caring God. He knows us. He knows our weaknesses, right? He knows He will not immediately plunge you into the deep ocean if you can't swim. He will give you, take, let you take some baby steps. So I started serving in local church. I started serving as, uh, in the choir, singing in the choir. And then I started serving as the chairman of the choir and then started serving in the Young Adults Fellowship and in the Bible study groups and learning from the Bible study leaders how to lead a Bible study. And I was, I was in awe of the Bible study leaders in those days. How do they know so much about the Bible? I'm just so amazed. 66 books. They seem to have everything at the back of their hands, right, at their fingertips. And I learned year by year studying the Bible with them, learning to emulate the brothers and sisters who are before me, who are spiritual giants in my eyes, learning from them, attending the Bible lectures, the night classes that are available, that were run by the Bible College, and attending Sunday school on Sundays, learning about the Word of God, learning the Word of God, learning about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about sin, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of the last days. All these were very, very helpful. The covenant theology, doctrine of the scriptures, all these are so helpful to my Christian growth. And I encourage all of us to grow as well. Don't be content to be a babe in Christ. And Stephen wasn't content to just be a babe in Christ. He was growing. And you can see his Christian growth in the fact that he was willing to sacrifice himself in order to serve the Apostle Paul and his entourage because he sees it as his privilege to serve God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. My way of serving God is to serve God's servant, the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul needs us. He needs us. He needs all these things to be supplied to him. Maybe I can't do it myself, I can get a collection from God's people and we can supply the needs of the Apostle Paul and all the other servants of God. And so we see here uh, a genuine conversion in the life of, uh, of Stephanus. Now, the first fruits is also, uh, interestingly, a farming term. So some of us who are 
uh, into farming, you realize that first fruits mean this is the, the first time the fruits appear on the trees or on the plants, right? The first fruits. And the first fruits are harbinger, right? Or the herald of more fruits to come, the rest of the harvest, right? So that's the meaning of first fruits. And that's a beautiful uh, word that is used by the Apostle Paul to describe Stephanus. That he was the first fruits. His family were the first fruits because there were more to come. Through this family, perhaps, or through the work of the Holy Spirit, many others came to know the Lord. And there were more and more Christians. And the church grew in Achaia. And there were more and more believers. And they had more and more resources even to serve the rest of the people in, um, in the region. All right. And um, the family, the fact that the family of Stephanus was mentioned as the family that serves together tells us that the family of Stephanus, that many of them were believers. It doesn't mean that all of them were believers. It certainly means that all of them helped out in serving the Apostle Paul and many other servants of God. And, but this tells us that many family members of Stephanus were believers. They were born again and they were saved. And this is an encouragement to all of us that it is possible for our family members to be saved. It is possible for God to work a work of miracle in the hearts of our family members. Sometimes many of us are praying for our loved ones, our parents, our siblings, our children, for many years, for many decades. I've shared about how my mother-in-law came to know the Lord after my wife has prayed for her for 34 years. 34 years. And in the last three years, more intensely, more intensively, she started writing love letters to her mom. Because each time she tried to talk to her mom about Christ, her mom would say, don't talk to me about it. That's your religion, your God, right? I don't want to hear anything about Christianity. And so she took to writing. She took to writing, copying, forced herself to learn the Chinese Bible. Right? She's not great in the Chinese Bible, um, but um, she started picking up the Chinese language again, right? um, and, um, and she started copying those Chinese Bible verses and tell her mom how much she loves her. She tells her mom that God loves her even more, and God has sent her the most precious gift, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for her on the cross at Calvary. And slowly, the Holy Spirit worked in her heart, day by day, week by week, year by year, and we thank God that she was saved. And so, I pray that all of us will not stop praying, that we will not stop our efforts to evangelize, that we will not stop reaching out to our loved ones, even though we think it is difficult. It seems impossible. It is impossible. It was impossible for me to be saved. It's impossible, it was impossible for you to have been saved, right? It is all the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of miracle that each, that any one of us should be saved because all of us are wretched sinners. All of us were opposed to God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So let us not give up reaching up to the loved ones, our loved ones, and to others so that we may be able to um, to see even the salvation of some of our loved ones. The next thing that we, that we note about this family is that the family serves together. And one point I want to make about this is that it is very important for the family to serve together. And for the head of the household, especially on the mothers, uh, if you are the only Christian in the home, to bring your children to church and to set a godly example by serving with your children. Um, because one of the statistics that was shown uh, about families is that one of the sad statistics about families is that uh, a lot of our kids who grow up 
in our churches, about 75% of them, we will lose them. Around the age of teens, right, we will lose some of them, right? And the statistic shows that. But the good news, um, can we have the next slide? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, this one, yeah. So you lose 75% of the kids in church by the time they hit teens or even young adults. But the good news is that 25% of them stayed in church. And when they surveyed these 25% of the kids who stayed in church, one thing was very, very interesting. Why did the 25% stay? Number one reason, they had dinner five days out of seven with the family members. So having meals with the family, very important. That's why the Singapore government is promoting eat with your family day. Right? <laughs> uh, you should eat with your family. And the second, second most important factor here is that they have served with their families in a ministry. And that's why it's so important for us to serve together with our children in the ministry, to set that godly example from young. Growing up, let our children see the reality of our faith, that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves, that we are not just coming punctually for worship service. We are coming early for worship service because we are helping to arrange the chairs. We are helping with the PA ministry. We are helping to do things. We are helping to usher. We are helping to put up the banner. We are helping to do things for the worship service. All right? Number three entrusted with responsibility in ministry at an early age. This is very important because children need to be taught responsibility and they can be given responsibility. They can be entrusted with responsibility and they should be given responsibility. Starting from the, ch- starting from the home, in fact. Right? So parents, don't just tell your kids to study. I don't need to do anything at home. Yes, they should study hard. They should also help out at home. They should also help out with home, with housework, learning to cook, learning to, to use the vacuum cleaner, learning to mop the floor, learning to do laundry, learning to fold the clothes, learning to tidy up the home. They should learn to do all these things. And in the church as well, learning to be part of the PA ministry. Right? They should be entrusted with responsibilities. Right? But all these have to come from the head of the household. And of course, with the agreement of the wives. And that's why it's so important. Huh? The conversations with husband, between husbands and wives. Wives also must agree. Right? Wives must also support the husband's leadership. It's so important. Right, Joshua sets, uh, gives us a good example in Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose you this day, telling the children of Israel, all the heads of the households, the fathers among the Jews, you choose this day, who will you serve? But, for me, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Will you serve the Lord? Will you and your household serve the Lord? like the house of Joshua, like the house of Stephanus. You have to set a godly example. You have to talk to your wife. You have to persuade your wife. You have to pray with your wife. Just as we learned yesterday about in the family seminar, you have to learn to trust God. You have to teach your children to trust God. We have a God who loves you, who cares for you. You can trust God. You can trust God to provide for you. I'm sure Stephanus have told that to his wife and to his family members. Yes, we have very limited resources, but we can trust God, that God will provide for us. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for all our needs. He's a God who loves us. He will never fail us. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Alright, so this is the kind of faith that we must learn to exercise. And when our children see the true faith that we have in Christ, they will grow up impressed with this almighty, faithful God, this loving God, this caring God who cares for the whole family, who will never fail us. And He will never fail your children as well if your children will trust Him. So that's the first thing we see about this family that serves 
the Lord together. The second thing we see is that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. As I mentioned earlier on, addicted is a very strong word that is used to convey this devotion, this, this desire, this great desire, <coughs> this insatiable desire to serve others, this desire to be of help to others, to, 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 to humble himself, to sacrifice himself to help someone else. He's always on the lookout for someone else to pray for, to help, to send a message to, to encourage someone who is in need, to pray for someone, to send something to someone. He's addicted to serving others. Addicted means to bring an order, to arrange or put in place. Right? So that's the idea here. He would, he would set in order his own household and all his affairs, his schedule. He will plan all his schedule around others, not himself. And that's the beauty of a Christian. A Christian is one who has been saved from selfishness, saved from self-centeredness and from selfish ambition to become one who is more like Jesus, who is selfless, self-sacrificial and others-centered. And this is the house of Stephanus. He is able to bring an order in his own life, in his schedule, to put others first, not himself first. Now, very often when we ask someone to serve in church, one of the first responses they have is, oh, I'm not comfortable doing this. All right? So I hope I've addressed that earlier on. My first point, when I said that when God calls you to be a Christian, He did not call you to a comfortable position. Right? He did not call you to be a comfortable Christian. That, that is a misnomer. Right? There's no such thing as a comfortable Christian. If you're too comfortable, I pray that God will jolt you out of your comfort zone. Right? You should not be comfortable. You should be sacrificial. Because if you're not sacrificing something for Jesus, then you're not following Jesus. You're not denying yourself, taking up the cross and following Jesus. You're not a disciple of Christ. To be a disciple of Christ means to be a follower of Jesus. Then you have to follow and emulate His life. To be sacrificial. The second thing is that you have to put others first before you. Order your life so that you can put others before you. And that requires you to be very flexible in your schedule. Very often when you ask someone to serve, they will say, Ayah, I'm too committed to my family and to my job and to my other activities. I have no time. I have no time to come. I have no time to attend the seminar. I have no time to serve God. I have no time to come earlier on worship service. I have no time to do this, to do that for God. I don't have time. Well, that's not the case with the household of Stephanus, they order their schedule so that they put in place their schedule in such a way that they would most glorify God. They make sure that they put others before themselves. So they are addicted to serving others, making sure that they are devoted, they are available to serve others. Right? And um, they are also, thirdly, meeting the needs of others. They are always thinking about others. Verse 16 tells us that they submit yourselves unto such, referring not just to the household of Stephanus, but also to uh, Fortunatus, perhaps uh, subsequently as well, uh, although that comes in verse 17. But specifically referring to the house of Stephanus, ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. In other words, this is the house of Stephanus helping the Apostle Paul to serve the church as well as to labor, right? to work hard. They were diligent workers. They were serving other people, not quarreling with other people. You know, very often in church ministries, there are many people who want to serve, but they want to serve on their own terms. They want to serve doing things their own way, right? And they will not follow the leadership of the church. 
This is not the case of the house of Stephanus. And this is not the case. This is not the way we should serve because the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, verse 16, that you submit yourselves unto these people who are leading you in serving others. The house of Stephanus. Submit yourselves to them. Submit to their leadership and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. <clears throat> I want to give you an example of the Tuas Gospel Outreach. This is just one example. I can multiply a number of examples of every ministry that this church has engaged in. But that's really not the point. Just one example would suffice. Right? In the Tuas Gospel Outreach that I was very happy to be involved in, and I saw how on 11 December, you have uh, the deacons who gave the, uh, um, uh, a briefing to everyone of the instructions on how we should reach out to the people, the foreign workers at Tuas. And how many workers? We're expecting a few hundred of them. Uh, they speak different languages. And the plan for the afternoon was that we will run some games. We will have some stalls for food. And then we will also subsequently have a gospel meeting that we will have the word of God given by Elder Boone that will be translated into uh, two different languages so that the workers were of uh, different parts of the, of, of, um, the Indian subcontinent or they would be able to understand the gospel. And what impressed me about this gospel outreach, about this meeting really, was that uh, everybody followed the instructions. Even though many of us who are working who are working together, are working together for the first time. Some of them I've never even met before. Some of them don't belong to this church, right? But that's the beauty of the kingdom of Christ. We are willing to serve together with one another, obeying the instructions of our deacon, who is giving us the instructions so that we can all work in harmony. And once the instruction is given, we all go to our stations. We man our food stations, the game stations, and there are people who conducted the mass games as well. And we have the gospel that was also given. And then subsequently, we gave out goodies to the workers. And the amazing thing is that all of us were working harmoniously. We were working together. We were not quarreling with one another. And that is the beauty of the family of God. And this is how we should serve one another or serve others by serving one another, by working peacefully with one another, with smiles, with great joy. And many of us testified after that. Many of you who were involved testified that you really enjoyed it, right? That the fact is that you were part of this ministry, that you were able to serve someone who is a non-Christian or perhaps even some Christians in their midst. And that night, some of them perhaps came to know the Lord. Some of them raised their hands that they said that they want to receive Christ to be the Savior and Lord. And we were part of that ministry of sharing the good news with people around us. And this is how we should be serving the Lord as a church, as a family of God, that we should be happily, joyous, joyfully, peacefully, harmoniously serving one another. But that's not always the case. Right? I've encountered many times in my ministries of the church that after a particular event, people get discouraged because there were people who criticized. Oh, yeah, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. Then the person who was leading the whole thing got discouraged. Instead of focusing on the big picture, right? Instead of saying that, well, we have done the work of the Lord. We thank God for those who come forward to serve the Lord together. Yes, we could improve. We can do it better the next time. Right? Thank God for the uh, feedback that we have received. We will improve, we will do it better the next time. Let us not be discouraged. Let us press on. Let us continue to serve the Lord. All right? So take the feedback in a constructive manner. And for those who are giving feedback, make sure they are constructive feedback. Huh? Don't give destructive feedback. Right? Don't just criticize because you don't like the way certain things are done. Right? Not everything will be done according to the way that you like it. But if you want things to be done according to your way, then the next time you lead it, right? You lead the ministry. That's why I always tell people, right? right? That very often there are people who like to give a lot of suggestions. You know, and one of those, uh, the bane of being a, a, a pastor is this, right? Uh, on Monday morning, you get a phone call. You know, 
or you get a text message, right? uh, uh, Lee, you know, I have a suggestion for you. Right? <laughs> or, or phone call. Right? Uh, 15 minutes of very good suggestion. See, that's an excellent suggestion. And I think you are the best person to lead it. That's my response, right? Because you can see the need and you know how to go about doing it, right? You say, oh, no, 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 I don't have time. I don't have time to do all these things, right? right? Yeah, I'm too committed to my family, to my job, you know. Yeah. Right, if the Lord has impressed on your heart a certain ministry, a certain need that needs to be met, perhaps you are the best person to do it, right? Not necessarily always, right? But uh, certain ministries should be led by uh, deacons or elders or pastors or the men in the church, right? But uh, you can be certainly part of it, right? So, Always be ready to meet the needs of others. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Verse 17. Referring not just to the household of Stephanus, but also Fortunatus and Achaicus. You are always, this is the gift, you know, of a servant. This is the gift of a servant who is always thinking about the needs of others. They are very alert. They are very observant. Oh, this person is down. Oh, this person was absent today from worship service. Why? Eh? Then they will start texting. Uh, are you okay? We didn't see you at the worship service yesterday. Right? And then the person replied, Yeah, I was, I was having flu. You know, or I was, I was having a major surgery. I was recovering. And nobody knew about it. Right? But, you know, you, you reached out to the person. And the person was touched that you actually noticed that the person was absent. And whatever was lacking, you supplied. And it's one of those wonderful things about being part of the family of God. I remember when my, uh, my wife had to go through a, a very a serious surgery in 2016. It was discovered that she had an aneurysm in the brain. Uh, aneurysm is basically a bubble in the brain, uh, in one of the blood vessels. And if it was not treated, if you, if you don't uh, surgically clip it, what could happen is that it could burst, right? And... And that is basically one of the major causes of stroke. And if you read about statistics of aneurysms, about 60% of the aneurysms that burst, the people are dead on arrival in the hospital. And so my wife and I were faced with this difficult decision. What do we do? You know, do we do the surgery or not? Eventually, God let us, to cut the story short, she did the surgery. Right? And of course, it was a very difficult time for me because when you send your wife into the operating theater, in such a major surgery, they have to saw the skull open, right? So open brain surgery, get into that spot, clip it, and then put everything back. And then so stitch it. All right, a major surgery, anything can happen. Anything can happen, right? And, but I thank God that God was so merciful to me. She recovered from the surgery, and during the time when she was having surgery, there were many brothers and sisters in church who prayed for us. And we were so thankful for all those prayers, the concerns that they, shared, that, that they showed towards us. And there was this dear sister who always, whom we always remembered, right, that she actually took the trouble to boil soup for us. During this very stressful period, uh, my wife was the one who always cooks at home. I'm hopeless, right? I can cook, but, you know, I have no time. I'm just too busy during this period. Just caring for her, right? And this dear sister actually cooked food for us and boys nutritious soup for us and brought it to our home and so encouraged us and lifted up our spirits. Many of you can cook soups. <laughs> Many of you can do this for one another, right? And this is what we can do. As part of the family of God, we can be a caring church. We can be a loving church. We can be a warm church. Very often, people come into the church and say, oh, this church is very cold. Because we are expecting somebody to do something for us. But that's not how it functions. It works, right? A loving church, a warm church, a caring church starts with me. Right? I have to go out and reach out to someone else. I have to be thinking about someone else's needs. And when everyone is thinking about someone else's needs, someone else will think about your needs. And you'll be ministered to. And you'll be ministering to someone else. And then the church will be warm 
and it will be caring and it will be loving. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ taught us too in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36. For I was an hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. Naked and ye clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and ye came unto me. And these are all action, actions, actions of love. These are all things that we do because we love someone. Does it involve money? Yes. Does it involve your time? Yes. Does it involve sacrifice? Yes. Does it involve you changing your schedule in order to meet someone else's needs? Yes. It causes you to go out of your comfort zone for you to meet the needs of others. And that's what the early Christians did too in Acts chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Neither was there any among them that lacked, because their needs were supplied by others. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Barnabas was one of those who did that. He having land, he sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet to be distributed to people in the church who do not have things, who do not have food. And we have Dorcas, Acts chapter 9, full of good works. When she was sick and she died, there were all these widows who came to Peter, begging Peter, and showed Peter all the winter clothings, the garments that Dorcas had sold for them when she was alive. This was this beautiful, lovely lady who was always thinking about others, she was not thinking about saving money for herself through winter. She was thinking about buying clothes, buying cloth to sew clothes and winter coats for the poor widows who cannot afford to buy these expensive clothes. She was thinking about the needs of others. And verse 18, the house of Stephanus have also refreshed the spirit of the Apostle Paul and also refreshed the spirit of the Corinthian church members. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that as such. To refresh means to revive, to give rest, to relieve from toil. And all it takes is you offering a drink, you giving a kind word of encouragement, sending a text message, I'm praying for you, I know you're down, I know that you are going through a difficult time, you're going through the surgery, I'm praying for you that the Lord will will keep you and will heal you and will grant you a successful surgery. Praying for your exams that you'll be taking and praying for your travels, your difficulties that you are facing with your families and praying for your children. We're always thinking about the needs of others. Philippians 2.4 Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Galatians 5.14 For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Are we loving our neighbour as ourselves? Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ as ourselves? Or are we thinking that this is not the message for me? I want to share with you the story of this uh, brother. right? And uh, this is the church in, uh, in Melbourne that I will be going to in, in May and June as well. And the reason I go there is because for the past four years, they have been without a pastor. Four years. Can you imagine? Since their pastor left, there was a church split. And they're left with only about, I think, 40 people. right, And no pastor. And so I was supposed to go there in 2020 to minister like a few months in a year, in a few visits. And I was happy to go there many times in order to minister to them. And each time I would go there, I would have this brother who is circled. He would open up his home. And this is a wonderful brother who always has spare rooms in his house. Because he and his wife, just like the household of Stephanus, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have said that the Lord has given us this big house. We are going to give it to the Lord. We have spare rooms. We are more than happy to accommodate any Christian who will come our way. And they did. They did not just house me because I'm a pastor, but he also housed many other Christians 
who came and stopped by in Melbourne. And in one of those trips last year, before we left, there was a young man who had an accident, who was on holiday in Melbourne, he had an accident here and he was hospitalised. And all his parents had to fly from Singapore to Melbourne. And they had nowhere to stay. They don't know anyone else in Melbourne while they have to tend to and minister to their sick son. But we have this family, this wonderful couple, who was more than happy to house this family in distress. And they don't know these people, right? But it's through introduction. They say, okay, they're also from the same, from the, from the BP church family, and we are able to help one another in Christ. And so by introduction, they were accommodated in this uh, brother's family. And we thank God that the young man recovered in about a few weeks after a very serious uh, brain injury and some operations. And he was able to fly back with his family to Singapore. Right? But this is the ministry of hospitality, the ministry of being addicted to the ministry of the saints. And I pray that some of us, it may not be the gift of every one of us, but every one of us have some gifts that we can use to serve someone else. All of us can serve one another. And so how are we to, uh, to relate to the household of Stephanus? Verse 16 says, we should submit ourselves to them. We should honour such people who have helped us, who have laboured in our midst. We should commend them. We should respect them. We should support them. We should encourage them. We should supply resources and cooperate with them. And we should also commend them. Now, sometimes some people will say that, oh, it's not good for you to commend some people in church on the pulpit. Well, the Apostle Paul certainly wasn't ashamed of doing that. He commended a lot of people in his letters. And we should not be jealous of those who are commended. Because we should be saying, thank God that this person was doing a good job and he was commended. And I should learn also to be like that. But more than that, you know, today I'm not here to praise the house of Stephanus, but I want to exalt the Christ, the Savior, who has saved the house of Stephanus. Because the house of Stephanus was like that because of Christ. Because they were touched by the love of Jesus and they gave of themselves in order to serve others in the family of God. And we too, we too, can be like the house of Stephanus because we can be like Jesus. And it's my prayer that all of us will also likewise to be more and more like Jesus. So what are the takeaway lessons? Just three. Firstly, the greatest ability is availability. Many of us always say that, you know, um, okay, I'm not, I don't have a lot of abilities. I don't have a lot of gifts. I can't do this. I can't do that. But the greatest ability is availability. Are you available to serve God? Do you have, do you, can you set aside time? Are you willing to set aside your own needs, your, even your family's needs, your own comfort in order to serve God? Secondly, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The heads of households, mothers, I appeal to you, the family that serves together stays together. Right? It is, not, it is not a promise, but it is a general biblical truth. And this is something that would encourage all of us to encourage our families to serve together. Number three, every family can be a blessing to others in hospitality, in encouragement, in comfort, or in any ways that the Lord has given you a gift. Use it so that this church may continue to grow, that we may continue to love one another that we may continue to be more and more like Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word that is truth. Forgive us for many times where we have not served thee as we should because we have not loved thee as we ought. That we are not willing to follow Jesus. That we are not willing to get out of a comfort zone. That we are not willing to pay the price of being a disciple of Christ that we are not willing to deny ourselves to take up the cross and to follow Jesus. Father, help us. Fill us with your love. Show us where we have come from, that we were wretched sinners. We were bound and condemned for hell. 
but you have brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that you have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into your kingdom of light, that we are now your children of God, and that we are now able to serve you by the grace and the gifts that you have given to each and every child of God. And so help us to use our gifts to exalt our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.